Hey, good morning, y'all. My name is Ed Griffin Hagen. Ed, should we stand? Is this a photo op? Should we? I don't know. I'm otherwise known as a man of constant sorrow, apparently. (laughs) Do you think? Does it remind you of Oh Brother World? Uh, Apparently. I don't get it. But I would like you to say, could you just say, do not seek the treasure just one time? Do not seek the treasure. There you go. Thank you. Caitlin wanted me to sing the song, but I'm not. I'm not not gonna do that. It's not happening. It's not. So this is gonna. You know, this is a cool day. It's the day after Christmas, and for me, this is my 21st Christmas. That doesn't mean I'm 21 years old. It means it's my 21st Christmas since since I got saved. And what did you just tell me? I just said revealed biscuits. Oh, he revealed biscuits. I said, I asked him, I said, have you ever heard of, uh, thank you, thank you. Can y'all see the mug? There's so much space up here for activities. (laughs) All these movie references. The drummer said, stay out of his drum cage. (laughs) Um, She's adorable. Apparently. Did we just become best friends? (laughs) (laughs) Don't unfriend me. Don't unfriend me. So clearly today over a a cup of coffee and some biscuits and some pastries and stuff, we want to, you know, this is a time of year really in most churches um, that actually are meeting that didn't cancel their, their worship today, which is insane to me that we would even consider canceling church on Sunday because it's the day after Christmas. Why? What better time to, to be here? You know, we're not going to let the world infiltrate the church, okay? Um, amen. You know, but we're going to have a conversation. Most time, oops, most of the time it's, a, it's sort of a trip just freaked out. It's a time that people look back on the year and, and maybe look a little bit of a, a little bit ahead. I want us to look ahead. I want us to look ahead to uh, to 2022, and and probably beyond that, and have a biscuit and a cup of coffee or whatever. But I want us to have a little bit of a conversation, and this, particularly this conversation, because I personally feel really strongly, really burdened is probably the right word burdened for our city, our state, our country, and really burdened for culture and society as a whole, burdened that we're on the cusp of revival and awakening, that we're on the cusp of of revival and awakening. I want us to see, at least if we can begin to see this morning, begin to see God's heart in that. You know, he has this huge heart, and, and his heart for revival and awakening, I want to de- kind of define those two words. Awakening is when, when people who are spiritually dead, Scripture says we were spiritually dead, not spiritually sick, right? We were spiritually dead. Um, and so it's when people who are spiritually dead come to know Jesus and become alive in Him. And revival is when Christians, Christians are revived, right? It's when, when Christians who maybe have have lost their first love, kind of catch a new, fresh wind of the Holy Spirit and a renewed and, 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 and maybe a reinvigorated 
uh, faith. That's the difference kind of in awakening and revival. Now, they go hand in hand, obviously. And I, and I, and I believe that an awakening is what God does when his church is revived. Does that make sense? Awakening happens when the body of Christ is revived. Mm-hmm. So when, when believers uh, catch these uh, seasons of like fresh wind of the Holy Spirit like you're Absolutely. Saying, the result ends up being those who are not believers are come awakened. to faith yeah. and are awakened. Absolutely. That, so and, I, and I believe that the church, and I don't know the time, man, 30, 40 years, maybe 45 years, something like that, has slowly fallen asleep. Maybe at, maybe at best is, is nodding off and is, or has been nodding off, you know, and is just in desperate need of, of being revived at the end of the day. So what I want us to talk about this morning is, is all of that. And, you know, it's been about, we talked about revival uh, two or three weeks ago probably. In the, when we were, we were in the book of Acts chapter 8. And we'll be back to that next week. But, you know, it's been about 50 years in our country since the last time we saw this. Revival and awakening. And I was about five or six years old. Oh, and I was Jewish, so I didn't know nothing about no revival. <laughs> right? I didn't know nothing about revival or awakening or spirit. I didn't, know, I didn't know nothing about nothing. I didn't know anything about what was called what we look back on now, it's called the Jesus Revolution. Anybody ever heard of that? It was an unbelievable time in America. You know, it was a... Huh? I'm sorry. I'm just, it's right here. I, I get it. Yeah. When okay. you talk, I'll eat. Thank you. You made you me know, feel better. It was the late 60s and the early 70s, and it was, it was right on the heels, really, of the Woodstock generation. And like every other spiritual awakening in all of history, all of history... Going all the way back to the book of Acts, every spiritual awakening, every revival, every great awakening is preceded by some really bad times, turmoil. The decade of the 60s, it was rough, like it was super rough. The Vietnam War began and the Vietnam War was raging on. The nation really convulsed probably in in divisions between young and old and black and white and hippies and straights. Straights are what the hippies called conservative uh, folks. Young women are burning their bras in the streets and young men are burning their, their draft cards in the streets. You know, it was just pretty violent time. Plenty of drugs, plenty of you know what, plenty of rock and roll. John F. Kennedy is assassinated, filmed assassinated and in. In 1963, for all the world to see his head blown off, you know, 1968, Martin Luther King is assassinated. And then you go back to John F. Kennedy, he's shot, and a week later, the guy that shot him is shot on live TV. Violence, crazy violence for the world to see. Martin Luther King Jr. is assassinated. Bobby Kennedy is assassinated. You have churches burning, like one after the next after the next. People burning churches. Like with a Bible in their back pocket, they're burning a church. Like, are you kidding me? Terrible. It was, the 60s were just were rough. It was rough. And all of that preceded this revolution, this Jesus revolution, in the very late 60s and the early 70s. Any of you ever heard of Explo 72? You have. Explo 72. You had two, hadn't you? Yeah. 
you know, Explo 72s, 1972 in uh, the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, you had a really a, a and this Jesus revolution kind of started on the West Coast um, and, and moved across because part of what they had found is that the drugs and the you know what, the rock and roll, it didn't fill the void that, that's there, right? But Explo 72, you had 80,000 high school students, college students, college age kids, 80,000 in 1972 screaming for Jesus for five days. You had Bill Bright. Anybody know who Bill Bright is? Bill Bright started Campus Crusades for Christ, which is called Crew now. You had Bill Bright. You had Billy Graham on the stage with Johnny Cash on the stage. You had tons of, of musicians. This is when contemporary Christian music really was birthed That's right. at Explo 72. But you had all these hippies. And we would have said, y'all need a haircut and a job. Right? But they just said the same thing about Jesus. Y'all, this, this stadium was full of, this is where the term, you heard the term Jesus freak? That's where the, 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 the term was coined. Because you had all these bearded, long-haired hippies on fire for Christ. Evangelizing the whole city of Dallas. It was crazy. And all that is born, you know, out of, um, out of this, this crazy, decadent time of the 60s, there was, but there was, in these young people, there was, a, there was a hunger and a thirst for authenticity. There was a hunger mm-hmm. and, and for, for a sense of, of community. There was a, a hunger for real, sincere care for those in need and for those that are marginalized. Folks were crazy, massively cynical about, about big business and about big institutions and about big government and about big church about the police, about, quote, organized religion, massively cynical in the 60s about that. I would say massively cynical about all of that in the 2021s. Sounds right? familiar. Right? Many young people today, and maybe not even just many young people, but, but many, many people that are middle-aged, many people that are older, I don't know, fed up with conventional church, with fed up with political Christianity that always seems to be mad at everybody. Y'all ever get that sense that a lot of times Christians got a Bible in their back pocket and they just act mad at everybody all the time? That's not what, that's not the, that's not what this says, right? That's not what the long-haired, bearded Jesus said. And so people, I think, are they're fed up with it. They're fed up with, with this... Um, this virus of affluenza, which is like what, you know, what, what the gospel, the, the prosperity gospel is kind of morphed into. That it's about all of it. Does that sound like the way it is today? And I'm talking about 50, 60 years ago. You know, today there's tons of nuns and duns. Anybody know what a nun or a dun is? A nun are those who identify as atheists or agnostics. And in today, Pew Research says 25% of America identifies as an atheist or an agnostic. 25%. That's staggering. It's a staggering number. There's a lot of Christians, and now I'm talking about a lot of professing Christians, young and old, and they call themselves a dun. You know what a dun is? They say, I'm done with church. I'm done with church. 
Now, they, they also say, I ain't done with Jesus, right? I'm just done with church. Because they, they just say that they don't see a lot of Jesus in the American church. I would not necessarily disagree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they're done with it. I say all the time when we're praying before our worship on Sunday morning and we got a group gathered out there, every time we've been saying the same thing for so long, just know there are people that are coming in here every Sunday that are giving Jesus and his church one last chance. And I may even really revise that and say they're really giving his church one last chance because his church is so unlike him. And y'all, that's a sad thing. Today, 75% of people who grew up in Christian homes, 75% of people who grew up in, in church, they would say, I grew up in the church, are abandoning their faith as young adults. More than a third of millennials and generation, what's the generation right after that, Z? A third say that they're unaffiliated with any sort of faith whatsoever. Throngs of people feel like attending church is just irrelevant. Now, attending church don't save you. I'm not saying that. But if you're saved, you ought to want to gather with believers. You ought to to want to gather and worship together, right? Young people, and maybe not just young people, but young people for sure, they're impatient with churches that are more concerned with holy huddles inside the church than with, with helping and serving people outside of the church. Now, think about that. Way more concerned, many churches, with their little gatherings inside than doing stuff outside and affecting the community for Christ. Y'all, it's not social justice for social justice sake. It's all in the name of Christ. We love because he loved us first, right? We love because he died for us. You know, the, the young people today, the, even the seeker, quote, seeker-friendly mega churches of their parents' generation, which those churches kind of were born in the late 70s probably, early 80s, yeah. Um, They're too slick and they're too, this is what young people say. They're too slick, they're too programmed. They want something that is more real and more authentic and more radical and more raw. In an article, a guy named Drew Dyke wrote this article and it's, the name of the article is, is Millennials Don't Need a Hipper Pastor. This does not look hip, does it? Okay. So they don't need a hipper pastor. They need a bigger God. That's the name of the article. I want to read you a quote. He said, millennials and Gen Z have a dim view of church. They're highly skeptical of religion, yet they are still thirsty for transcendence. But when we portray God as a cosmic buddy, we lose them because they have enough friends When we tell them God will give them a better marriage and family, it's just white noise because they're probably delaying marriage and kids or even foregoing them altogether. When we tell them they're special, we're just echoing what educators and coaches and parents have told them their whole lives. But when we present a ravishing vision of a loving and holy God, it just might get their attention and capture their hearts as well. Y'all... A ravishing vision of a loving and a holy God. He's loving and he's holy. What we've seen in the last 30, 40 years is hyper grace. And of course grace. Grace, grace, grace. Of course grace. But we've lost the holiness of God. 
And so you have this dichotomy. Either you have churches that look and act and feel and speak and preach almost condemnation. They're preaching God's holiness, absolutely. But it's almost graceless, right? It's total legalism. And then you have the other side that is grace, 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 grace. And, 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 and they say or preach or teach or whatever that, <clears throat> that, that it doesn't matter how you talk, what you do, how you treat other people. God loves you and he's got grace for you, period, that nothing else matters. Both of those are lies from the pit of hell. Both of them are. God is loving and he is holy, right? Around here, we are going to, and if I don't, throw something at me. If Richard doesn't, throw something at him. We do our very best to teach and preach the full-blown gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus plus something. It's not Jesus minus something. Because that's what ends up happening because we feel like, we, you know, people, not us, we feel like, they feel like you got to try to sell Jesus to people. It's like this marketing campaign for the cross. We've lost the idea that he's enough. He's more than enough. Just him. Just him is more than enough. So I would say we got to admit it that in mass the church in America is, is comatose. We've, we've failed in presenting a ravishing image of a loving and a holy God. The church needs to be revived. We feel a strong burden that that is not, that we're on the cusp of all that. And, and revival is not about human plans or human programs or, or campaigns. It comes from a revolution that only God can stir up and he does it one heart at a time. If you were here Friday night, we had a beautiful Christmas Eve service, about 200 people here. And we did, we did a candlelight at the end, which I guess that's a traditional thing. I didn't grow up doing that, but I guess that's a traditional thing, right? But, it, but it, it's not a candlelight to light candles. It represents something. If Susan lights Rhonda's candle and Rhonda write, lights Zach's candle, that's an image of the spread of the gospel from one heart to the next heart. That's what it represents. It's this person getting on fire and lighting a fire under that person. That's what the candlelight thing is about. So this morning we want to talk through kind of what God's Word says about stirring up. That candlelight thing is Susan stirring Rhonda up and Rhonda stirring Zach up and, and Zach stirring. Now I could just say Patty Freeman's going to stir us all up. But, <laughs> but, 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 that, but I want us to talk about stirring up, what God says about stirring up. Book of Hebrews chapter 10 particularly verse 24 and 5, and you can put that up on the screen. Yeah, it's up there. Um, the letter to the Hebrews was written to encourage Christians who were in a time of trial at the time. It's written for our use in times of trial, in times of turmoil, in times of the 60s, in times of the early 1700s, in times of the turn of the 20th century. And it does that, the book of Hebrews does that, that encouragement, because it focuses on the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. He is supreme and he is sufficient. So Hebrews 10 talks, opens up and it talks about um, the once and... Did y'all hear me slurp? Sorry about Yummy. that. I need to do this next time. 
But Hebrews 10 opens up and it's talking about the, the once and for allness of the sacrifice yeah. of Christ compared to the old sacrificial system where the blood of, of bulls and goats and birds and whatever is just spilled constantly over and over, you know, yeah. on, the, on the altar. And verse 4 in Hebrews 10 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And verse 10 says, We've been sanctified through the, and sanctified is to be separate, to be holy. We've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 14 says, by a single offering, he has, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, that perfected doesn't mean sinless. It doesn't mean sinless at all. It's a promise for us that we will, we will fully realize God's saving purpose, that uh, it's a reminder that we should be bathing and, 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 and wallowing in the forgiveness of sin. And it brings a privilege of ultimately being in perfect relationship with God. The bottom line in Hebrews 10 is that the, at least the beginning, is that Jesus' sacrificial death is the basis for everything. Everything. It is the foundation. It undergirds all that is in a, a Christian's life. It fuels revival and awakening. It is a once and for all, um, never to be repeated, permanent, absolute sacrifice. And then verse 19 begins with, therefore. 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 Now I'm about to read you. Because of that sacrifice, therefore. Exactly. Sorry. No, not at all. So I'm about to read you a handful of verses. They're not going to be on the screen. The real punchline and emphasis of our talk today is these two verses on the screen, verses 24 and 25. But I'm going to read some verses that lead up to that. We're going to do a little class project. Are you ready? Wow, that was underwhelming. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. You're, you're awesome. So um, here's what I need you to do. I need you to try to count as I'm talking and as I'm reading verses, not these, but the ones I'm about to read, how many times you hear me say the phrase, let us. Two-word phrase, let us. Okay, you ready? As Ed said, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, therefore... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way that he opened up through the curtain, that is his flesh, and we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. How many times did you hear it? Twice? Now, we, if you take that and then you look at the verses that are on the screen. And it says, let us consider how to serve one another and to loving good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, some. But encouraging one another as you see the more. So you got this, let us is a theme, right? If it says it twice, it's important. If it says it three times, oh, my word, it's a big deal, right? Let us. So that's kind of the thing that we, one of the things that we want to emphasize here is that the fact that what we're going to talk about in this conversation is not an individual, is not ultimately or only an individual thing. And it's not meant to be applied and lived out and walked out strictly and only 
as an individual journey. It is a let us kind of vibe. Say let us. It's about letting us. Let us means all of us together. Let us means not alone. Let us is a community phrase. And this conversation is a community conversation. So, as I said, the verses that lead up to these that you see on the screen are super important because they start with, as Ed said, the word therefore. And therefore is referring to because of Jesus' sacrifice being the biggest, baddest, most bodacious thing that has ever happened in the history of any religious system. The best, the most awesome, the most complete thing that's in, ever happened in any religion known to humanity was the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. This is what we need to know. This is what we need to believe. And verse 19 of Hebrews 13 says, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place, which is a phrase that is referring to our ability to come to God. All right? It's a whole analogy he's making about the Old, Te old Testament temple or tabernacle that, that used to exist as the worship system. So therefore, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can come to God. We have confidence. Confidence. Say confidence. 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 There's another cool verse in, in, in chapter 4 of, of Hebrews that says that we should draw near to God with confidence so that we can get mercy and help when, in our time of need. Quick quiz, pop quiz, Ed. What do I not feel when I'm in a time of need? Confident. I don't and feel what, and, confident. And what do I usually feel? Fear. Fear. Exactly. Shame. I don't deserve to go to God. Mm -hmm. But the, so this message in Hebrews has let us be confident that we could come to God. Why are we confident? What is my confidence in? Certainly not in myself. And it's not in the state that I am. I'm confident the state that he's in. I'm confident in God. God made a way for me to come to him. That's the beautiful message of the gospel. And it's all undergirded on what the beginning of this chapter is. It's all founded and grounded on the, on the sacrificial death of Christ. Exactly. So that's the, the, the pillars of all of it. Exactly. So because of that, we can have confidence. And then we find this statement in verse 22 that says, Let us draw near to God with full assurance of faith. Us as, as broken, as weak. You know, we sang about that other when we were saying, my help comes from you. You remember that song at the, earlier in the, in the service? You carried my sickness, my weakness, and my brokenness on your shoulders to, to the cross. So we can have full assurance. So we come to God with our hearts. We bring our true, real, gritty, broken hearts to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And, and then we're able to get sprinkled and washed. Again, these are some cool verbs. Uh, and and they're, they have to do with this analogy of the Old Testament worship system. So check out Hebrews. Killer studies in Hebrews. I encourage you 
spend some time in Hebrews here at the beginning of the year. It'll set our hearts, I think, even as we prepare for this revival that we feel yeah, so no stirred about. No doubt. You know? And so anyway, so because of the confidence, because of the cross, the sacrifice, the body and blood of Jesus broken and poured out for us, we can come to God confident, fully assured. And in the middle of all that is, is mixed in this idea that as even as we're sitting here at home watching or, or in these chairs, we're saying, oh, I need that. Man, I need that. I need that confidence. I need that full assurance of faith. I need to have my conscience cleaned. I need to be washed. And it's a beautiful thing. But in the midst of it, the message is, it's not just about me. It's not just me. It's a let us thing. And we that is what I love about one of the things that I love about this passage is that we're holding fast the confession of faith. We're drawing near to God, and it's not just me as an individual. We do it together. We do it together. And that is the critical component, one of the critical components of this this reviving that God wants to do in our hearts. It is going to begin with a personal, individual decision to say, regardless of how, I, how fearful or ashamed I may be, I'm going to come to God. I'm going to draw near to God. And I'm going to have my conscience clean. And I'm going to have my sins washed away because of the sacrifice. I'm going to... I'm going to do that, and as I do that, I'm going to look to my left, and I'm going to look to my right, and I'm going to go, whoa, I'm not alone. There's sure. a lot of lettuces going on here. And when we do that, that spark, that candle mm-hmm. flame in me, I don't, just, I don't just have this experience to go home and, uh, and say, ooh, isn't it cool how I, how I can draw near to God now by myself. Nobody watching. Nobody bother me. You know, how many times do we say you leverage your story, your Jesus story, for somebody else's forever? Mm -hmm. Of course, he saved you. Individually, he saved you. But he didn't save you just for you. Does that make sense? He saved you for the person next door to you. He saved you for the person in the cubicle next to you. For the person in the seat next to you at church. I mean, it is for you to use or really it's for you to allow him to use Absolutely. for that person's eternity. Exactly. And so. we're, we're just about to toss it to you to give us some 24 and 25 mm-hmm. magic here. Um, but before we do that, the very last thing, before it goes to verse 25, the writer of Hebrews says, let us, boom, there it is again, of course, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Again, it's not It's not confidence or assurance in my own self. It's not my confidence or assurance even in you and the let us is around me. It's our confidence and our assurance in the cross of Jesus Christ, which reminds us of so many things. And it reminds us that God, who promised, who makes promises, is faithful to keep his promises. And with that, if we're confident, now think about it, if we're confident and if we're assured of that, I'm going to hit this table and coffee's going to spill. <laughs> I was getting a little too riled up. My apologies. But if we're confident and have full assurance, 
that God is faithful, boom. I mean, it's about to go down, and it doesn't take 80,000 teenagers in the Cotton Bowl in Atlanta. It could, or in, in Dallas. Dallas, whatever. You know, it's, uh, it could be a handful of us here in, uh, in this room. It's where it starts. That confidence and assurance in the faithfulness of our God. Well, then what happens? Verse 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How to, no, I'm good, thanks. How to stir up one another to love and good works. This is the third or fourth, I don't even remember, uh, let us statement. And that word that is translated stir up, some translations say spur on, some say um, provoke. Uh, it even, it, 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 it really means to stimulate strongly. It, it really, in a negative sense, it means to incite to riot is what that word means that is usually translated to stir up. It is like, you know, it is like, I always use, I always use football metaphors, but I'm going to use a softball metaphor. So if I say something stupid or wrong, I'm going to need for you to let me know that. How many innings y'all play in high school softball? Seven? Okay, so it's it's th- here's what that stir up is. You're down by uh, by two, and it's the it's the bottom of the seventh inning, and you got the top of the order up. It is the it is the words that the coach is 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 I was going to say saying screaming <laughs> at the girls in the dugout mm-hmm. before they go to 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 bat in the bottom of the seventh inning in the last game of the state championship, and you're down by two. It's that speech. It's the speech. I gotta go football, so I apologize. At halftime, you know that you're down by a couple touchdowns, and and it's the speech that that Newt Rockney gives. It's the speech that whoever is getting a, a, a football team fired up to go out and take the field to own the field. It is to go out and conquer. That's the. It's to get fired up to. Just get them on, just lit up on fire. That's the word that the author of Hebrews says that we are, because who the book of Hebrews is written to believers in that time, believers that are struggling. So he says you need to fire each other up. Get in each other's face and get each other fired up. Go on the field. You know, when the church scattered in Acts 8, I had this weird vision in my mind that you had 20,000, 25,000 people running full speed into Samaria screaming about Jesus. That's the image of stirring each other up. You know, God's church will not be revived. There will not be revival without God stirring us up individually and us stirring each other up. To get each other fired up. It's not going to happen. It's the way that he does things. And we're, we're, we're to do that particularly in two areas. Two general kind of areas. The first is, he says, uh, stir up to love. Not an emotion, but an, uh, but a, but an, an intentional choice to act regardless of the way you feel. Y'all get that? There are times where we got to act despite the way we feel. We tell people that are suffering with depression, I don't want to get out of the bed. Well, I know you don't want to get out of the bed, but get out of the bed anyway. 
Because sometimes we got to act regardless of the way we feel. Well, sometimes, contrary to what y'all probably think, I'm not lovable. Well, she loves me anyway, right? We are, we are to do that despite the way we feel sometimes. You know, we, we act lovingly towards other believers. C.S. Lewis said this. Love me some C.S. Lewis. He said, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you do. What a great quote. Because you may, uh, you, I may not, she says to my wife, says to me sometimes, I love you, I just don't like you right now. <laughs> well, okay. That's, that's what I'm talking about. We're to be welcoming. We're to be accepting as a body, I'm saying. Not approving of the sin, it's not what I'm saying, but accepting of the sinner. We're to spur on each other. In joy and in peace and in patience and in kindness and in gentleness and in self-control. Y'all, and then we're to stir up in good deeds. Good works that are done for the benefit, for the good of others, which attracts them to Christ. Because he is, what did we say a minute ago? He's undergirding the whole conversation, right? So he's the source of any goodness that I even would begin to have. He's the source. So if, if, I, if I'm being gentle and I'm being loving and I'm being joyful and I'm, and I'm controlling my mouth and I'm, and I'm doing good works, all of that needs to be pointing people to the source of it. You know, can you imagine that? If we're kind, if, we're, if we control ourselves, if we love, if we're full of joy, if we're patient, and all of that plays itself out in good works through godly living, through walking the talk, through not being a hypocrite, through acting upon what in the, in the way that we would, we would talk, what I just described, that is the revival of the body of Christ. So if all of that, then others will be attracted to Christ. They will be. There'll be an awakening. Well, why, why would that be? Because those that name the name of Christ will actually then be living, breathing, walking, talking examples of Jesus. Just remember, revival is of the church. And awakening is when people that are spiritually dead come to life. What you think about verse 25? I, I, I love it. And rolling right out of what Ed just said about how we're to uh, incite a, uh, a love and good works riot uh, in each other that we're to halftime speech, bottom of the seventh speech, our teammates on uh, to love and good works. And it rolls right into this warning. And it says, and it's not even, you know, in the sentence or there's not even punctuation like a period. It's a comma. And it says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. That's the first half of verse 25. So this warning that is really trying to spotlight how important, like super important it is for us to gather together. Now, here's where people might say, oh, so you're so going to church, quote unquote, is what we're supposed that's like that fixes everything 
That's not exactly what we're saying, but we're saying that gathering together as a church family is critical. And not just for an hour-ish on Sunday mornings. Not just occasionally uh, throughout the month, but to have connectedness and community and relationships with other believers that will always include at some way and in some form literally getting together. I mean, it's super practical that the scripture is saying don't neglect getting together. There's a different kind of encouragement that can happen when we're physically in the same Mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. It's just different than a text message. Like it just is. And I'm not hating on text messaging. I'm not. I got a flip phone. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm not hating on that. There's just something different happens when we're physically together. And that's what he's talking about. Locking arms. And it's almost figuratively locking arms, but sometimes it's literally locking arms, you know? Absolutely. And and this is the point where we would say we're not uh, just a bunch of angry old guys railing against uh, virtual gatherings or something like that. Hey, praise God last year that that everybody in this country had the ability to, well, most everybody, had the ability to live stream worship. Praise the Lord. The problem, though, is what happened rolling out of that, and I'm just being transparent and honest with you, this happened in every church on the planet. There are casualties. I I call them COVID casualties. I want to write a book called The COVID Casualties to the Church. There were casualties. There is seems to be, this is why I feel like we're on the on the cusp of revival. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a little bit of a sifting of the wheat and tares, Mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. It just seems like that's Mm -hmm. happening. There are people that they started watching a little bit (laughs) during COVID, then they said, yeah, I'll I'll catch it Monday, then they're not catching it on Monday. Well, I'll catch it on Tuesday or Wednesday, and then they're not catch- Then they just kind of have wandered off into the sunset. Every single pastor I've talked to yeah, has said the same correct. thing, that's and those correct. are casualties. So it's not irrelevant gathering together. It's extremely relevant. I read, I read this week a guy, and I don't remember where the quote came from, so I'm going to say I always say. He said to withdraw from the strength of gathering together, the strength of locking arms together, to withdraw from that is to invite disaster. When we gather together, when family units gather together, Mm -hmm. when church families gather together, there's strength and power that happens in togetherness that doesn't happen in isolation. And Mm -hmm. so whatever is good that God intends for us, the devil is going to intend the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Get you isolated. You don't need to go to church. Oh, sure. You don't need yeah. to gather. Just you can watch it at home. Mm-hmm. You can do. And can you watch it at home? Of course you can. It ain't the best way to do it though. Mm-hmm. And over time, isolation stinks. There's protection in mm-hmm. gathering together. I remember when my kids were. I want to say Will was a year and a half old, and Zach was about three and a half or four, and I guess he would have been four and a half. And we were visiting a friend of mine. Um, that I went to college with in Colorado. We were in uh, in Boulder, and we were we were the it was me and Susan and Zach and Will and 
my buddy Danny and his wife Mirna, and we were hiking kind of up a, up a mountain to go, weren't we going to cook out or something? Yeah, and so we're walking up, we're walking up this trail, and <clears throat> pretty, it was a trail, but pretty dense woods, right? And, and uh, I think Susan's holding Zach's hand, and I'm walking, uh, and, and Will, because, because he's Will, he didn't want to hold my hand, and so he was walking behind me. So it was me, Susan, Zach, Danny, Mirna, Will was about five feet behind us. And Danny turned around and said, do not let him walk behind you. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, a cougar will get him. I said, what are you talking about? He said, if you, he said he's the littlest one and he's walking behind you. He said, we need to, we need to look and act like, and walk and talk like a group. He said, don't let him walk behind you because he's going to get left behind and a mountain lion will come take him. And so I grabbed him, and I, and I pulled him up next to me. He said, better yet, put him on your shoulders because then you look bigger to a, to a, to a mountain lion. Zach's over there nodding because you know what I'm talking about. I mean, and so the bottom line is gathering together, y'all, we can protect each other, and we can encourage each other. And when somebody's down, we can pick that person up. And when somebody is having an incredibly joyful something you know we can celebrate with them when Derek is going through cancer his son Derek going through leukemia I want to say your friends and your church family rallied around y'all and encouraged um, it was it was huge and, and and inviting disaster doing the opposite is inviting disaster exactly that is such I mean don't you love that story I mean, when Ed told me that story earlier this week, I was like, oh, gosh, that is so perfect for this conversation. So vivid, the idea. I even love the language of uh, let, let we, we function as a group because the enemy, mountain lion, in this story, the enemy has no easy access, no easy access, mm -hmm. and no advantage when we're functioning as a group. And I even love that language about, in fact, put them on your shoulders because you look bigger. I yeah. mean, that gives me chills thinking about how many times in my life, fellow believers, when I almost couldn't function and couldn't, they like picked me up mm -hmm. and carried me. It was like they were the hands of God carrying me through something that, can you guys relate to that? I mean, that happens and it prov provides us with protection. And I would just say that that's why we believe so uh, strongly in, in gathering the way we do physically here. And we don't hate on virtual uh, options to gather because we know that there are people who have to have that as, the, as may be for a season, the absolute only way to do it. We are not hating on that. We're like Napoleon Dynamite's brother. We love technology. No? Sorry. We broadcast on the line. On the line. <laughs> exactly. On the net. No, but seriously, and, and but in that, it, it is our gathering can include, but not be limited to, virtual options. And it's why we care. We spend time and energy and finances sure. in providing some, some virtual options. But 
And, and we're so glad that people are watching this right now, virtually. But we encourage you. It is about community. That is the thing. We are all on the trail. See what I did there? I almost made you spill your coffee. Yeah. But we're on a trail. And who of us, it, it, let's just be honest, are we straggling? Are we potentially a target because we're isolated? John Wesley said the most un there's nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. Mind blowing. One of the fathers of the last several hundred years mm -hmm. of of, uh, of our faith. We are inviting everyone at this time. And and let's let's just be straight about this. And let's let's understand. When the Lord stirs Ed's heart, and that's really where it came from. It's not like this was even planned, but a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. it just started stirring in Ed's heart. As our pastor, man, God's getting ready to do something. He just sensed that this revival vibe is brewing in our church family. And if you're a part of our church family, we need to, our ears need to perk up when that happens. When God puts something, drops something in his heart and in the heart of our leadership team, which we've really caught that vision mm -hmm. in these recent weeks. And so if that's true, and it is, then let's assess how we do life together as a church family. Because we have the opportunity to be in on a really powerful, cool thing. And why would we want to be straggling? It's, it's not only dangerous. I, I mean, it's just why would we want to miss out? So we invite you, by any means necessary, to connect and to stay connected, including but not limited to technology. But join us on this trail. And I think, you know, let's just be honest, as Ed was saying, there's just so many limits. It, it, it's, so, it, it's potentially limited if you can't sit face to face with somebody. And just pour your heart and pour your heart out and let them pour their heart out to you. Let us gather together. Let's not, let's not miss out on gathering together. And the second half, uh, the, or the second statement in uh, verse 25 is we encourage one another. We encourage one another, which is similar to what you were talking about in, in verse 24. The stirring up, the inciting, mm -hmm. the inspiring to encourage one another as a New Testament community of faith is so much more than just pats on the back and uh, thoughts and prayers. It, is, it, it includes pats on the back and expressing thoughts and prayers. But to encourage one another is to literally come alongside and perhaps help carry. Listen, help there's, a, there, there's an image in, in Matthew, I think it's in chapter 11 in the book of Matthew, and, G, and in the verses in the 30s somewhere, um, and I know I'm supposed to know every verse in the whole Bible, but I don't. It's very disappointing. It's Matthew, I know, my bad. It's Matthew chapter 11. Um, he talks about being yoked. He talks about two oxen being yoked together. Y'all know what a yoke is? It's the yoke is a wooden thing that, oh. yeah. 
It's the wooden thing that goes around the, the ox's neck and it connects them to the other, the other one. Why do you think they, they do that? Do they do that so they don't stray off? No. No, they do that so that when ox number one can't hardly take another step, ox number two is taking the step for him. Because you can get the strength can be displaced, I guess, over to the other one. Well, that's what you and I do to each other. When I don't feel like I can take another step, mm-hmm. then Lonnie puts his arm around me and carries me another step. Y'all, that is even when he don't like me, right? But he loves me as a brother, as a brother in Christ. So he puts his arm around me and, and totes me. Um, there's a, there's an, a, a, another thought about encouragement that I'd like to throw out there. You might consider yourself not a, a big encourager. I've, I've talked to people. Oh, I'm not a real encourager. Well, that, that what they're saying is their personality is not all fluffy and, you know. Sure. It doesn't matter what our personality or temperament is. When we're walking the journey of faith, when we're on that trail with our group, when we're going through this stuff, we can be encouragers by what Ed just described, by coming alongside and assisting love and good works and support and help. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 3.13 that says, but encourage one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This encouragement thing is not just we cannot underestimate the importance of a church family encouraging one another. It doesn't just end with texting a cool meme with a great quote on it. Or what it is, is it is coming alongside someone to be with them because there's something big at stake. Verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 3 says, here's what's at stake. Encourage each other so that no one will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When we are going through the stuff of life, whether it's extreme difficulty or just a lot of miles and weariness or whatever the case may be, we are targets for deception. The deceitfulness of sin can harden our hearts. And one of the things that God uses to protect our hearts from being hardened is literally the encouragement of the let us people that we're walking with. How amazing is that? That's what we get to be a part of. That's the invitation that we're throwing out there as we turn the corner into this new year and we believe that God has some really cool stuff that he's stirring that honestly we don't even know exactly how it's going to look, but we just sense that important stuff is coming in the early months of this year and this is what we're inviting us into it's just by hook or by crook you know for better or worse we're just going to get together and we're going to walk this together we're not going to isolate we're going to gather we're going to encourage one another we're going to be about love and good works we're let us kind of people and at the very end of that verse it says do all of this as you see the day approaching the day it doesn't mean just a big important day on the calendar doesn't mean you know just December 31st when the playoff games come and then we set up the new the next uh, Georgia Alabama game it's not that that's not the day there's the day and it's capitalized 
in your Bible, if you will notice, it's the day that Christ returns. They were talking about that day all that 2,000 years ago. And it still hasn't happened yet. But you know what? We're one day closer to it. We're 2,000 years closer to it than the writer of Hebrews was. And we do all of this knowing that that day is coming. Your thoughts? So, so, so kind of to put a bow on it, we are to stir each other up. I want us to really land on that. We are to stir each other up. We are to spur each other on. We are to encourage each other. We are, we are to love on each other. We're to gather together. We're to encourage each other. And, and all the more, because it says, and all the more. We ought to really do that, really do that, because that day that Richard just was talking about is drawing near. So I encouraged our worship team this morning, um, and I've done it before, to, to lead worship like Jesus is coming back at 2 o'clock. I'm telling y'all, treat your wife, treat your husband. Talk to your wife, talk to your husband. Like Jesus is coming back at 2 o'clock. Talk to your co-workers down at the office. React to your co-workers down at the office like Jesus is coming back at 2 o'clock. If you're in line at Publix, talk to the clerk behind the cash register like Jesus is coming back at 2 o'clock. If you're serving in our Joyful Hearts ministry at, at one of the assisted living centers in Columbus with the memory care patients and with older, older people that live there. Do it like Jesus is coming back at 2 o'clock. If you're serving in kids or tots, serve in kids or tots like Jesus is coming back at 2 o'clock. Y'all, when you're in line at the tag office and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and your BP is up about 280 over 140 and when you finally get to the window talk to that woman behind that window like Jesus is coming back at 2 o'clock. Y'all, that's what live your whole life treat people talk to people walk through life like Jesus is coming back this afternoon I don't know if he is or isn't I don't want him to come back this afternoon it's too many lost people that are going to hell but I want to live my life like he is coming back this afternoon that is the burden that is the burden for revival and awakening so this central question then really is is whether you're young or whether you're old are we as the body of Christ just going through the motions? Are we going through the motions um, comfortable and complacent and we're consuming our brand of cultural churchianity? Is that what we're doing every day? Because cultural churchianity has very little to do with the electrifying gospel of Jesus Christ. Very little to do with it. Are we desperate to, to know God? Are we desperate to embrace the fresh, mysterious winds of His Holy Spirit? Are we desperate to allow Him to wake us up and to wake up our friends? My answer is yes. I hope your answer is yes. Revival. We wake up from, from a slumber. If we do that as the body of Christ, and I say we, I'm talking corporate we. I'm talking about the body all over the planet. If we do that, there is no doubt that an army of compassion will be unleashed on a lost and dying and broken world.
world. I want to tell you, I want to kind of end with this. I want to tell you what Billy Graham said about the Jesus Revolution in the late 60s, early 70s. And I want you to, because honestly, this is my own simple little vision for what Church on the Trail ought to be and look like. This is what he said. I can't remember the book he wrote it in, but he was talking about this Jesus Revolution. He said it was spontaneous. There was no human figurehead. It was centered around Jesus. When I die and y'all bury me, I want them to say about Church on the Trail, they were Jesus-focused. Don't even remember who the pastor was. They were Jesus-focused. Don't remember who the men's pastor was. He loved movies and talked about movies all the time. It was the Jesus-focused place. That's what Billy Graham said about the movement in the 60s. said it was Bible-based. The overwhelming majority of the Jesus people, that's what they called them, they weren't simply drawn to some vague appreciation of Jesus. They dug into their Bibles to understand who he was. I want us to be Bible-based. I want us to dig into Scripture because it reveals who the author is, right? He said that this movement emphasized being born again. It emphasized the transforming power of grace. It emphasized the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in, in creating new creations. It was uh, it, it, it emphasized new birth. He said that the young people that came to Christ during this time were finding a cure from drugs and other kinds of addiction and ingrained patterns of sinfulness. He said their lives simply stated. He said these young people were transformed. They were transformed. I want us to be a church that people walk in one way and they're transformed because of the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, he said that they emphasized discipleship. They emphasized discipleship. Now, you can't be a disciple without being saved, so the saving comes first, right? But they emphasized discipleship. Not just wearing a cross, not just wearing a T-shirt, not just putting a bumper sticker on the car. Oh, I got the Jesus fish on the back of my car. Okay, all right, that, that's cool. You got the Jesus fish on your car. Right, that's cool. But are you a disciple? Are you walking the talk of the Jesus fish? Or is the fish just stuck to the back of your car? It was interracial and it was multi-ethnic. Because those kids, those 80,000 screaming kids in that stadium, what they saw in their Bible was a Jesus where there was no divisions among people. They were all just focused on Him. The last thing they saw or Billy Graham saw was they were on fire for evangelism. They went like an army into the streets in Dallas. Y'all, we saw that in Acts 8. 20, 30,000 people on fire in an evangelistic way. You know, think about what I said. It was Jesus-centered. It was Bible-based. It emphasized the whole gospel. It was healing, it was life-changing, it was transforming, it was discipleship-focused, it broke down racial and ethnic lines, and it was evangelistic. Y'all, that's the church that I want to be a part of, right? It is what I pray for us for 2022. I pray that our church, I pray every day that our church would reflect those six or seven sort of bullet points 
That's what I want us to look like. Me, Richard, the leadership in our church, we want us to be a body that looks like that, that'll do anything short of sin to, to reach people who are far from God. Anything. Anything. Like short of sin. This is not sinful, baby. To reach people that are far from God. Does your heart ache for people that are far from God? If you're a Christ follower, it ought to. You know, when we do that, there'll be an awakening. There will be. One heart at a time. One little candle at a time. So I'm asking you to not be satisfied with the spiritual impotence of today's times. Don't be satisfied with it. The New Testament church in the book of Acts. Those Christians are our example. You want an example? Go read Acts chapter 8. Screaming Jesus freaks running off into Samaria. That's the example. So I'm asking you to join us in expecting God to perform a miracle in our hearts to revive us as Christ followers. To make ourselves available. That's what that song that we sang. Make ourselves individually available and locked arms together, corporately available to Him to teach us, to guide us, to direct us into the, into the fields. There's a harvest, man. There's a, is there not? There's a huge harvest. If not us, who? If not us, who? You want to pray us out? Let's stand together, all right? We're going to wrap, wrap up our service with uh, one more song. And as we do, we would just like to say that if you're here in the room today, or maybe you're watching this video online at some point, and you're hearing all this talk, and you're saying, all right, that's cool. But maybe if you really assess, maybe if you were sitting at the table with Ed and I this morning and we were having coffee together and, let, and we started talking about our relationship with God and if you were honest with us maybe you would say I'm not even really sure where I'm at with God I'm not even sure if I even have a relationship with God and we get that and that so we feel you and maybe that's you maybe that's how you feel right now as you're listening to this. Well, I just want to say that what better time and what better day than right now to begin your relationship with God? What better time than right now to load the phrase we like to use is come to the cross, which basically means in prayer and in your mind, in your heart, saying to God, I want the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, I want that to be for me. And I want my sins forgiven. I want to be able to turn away from my sins and turn to God. Come to the cross today. We can do that because the Bible says anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe that's for you right now. Maybe, that's, maybe today's your day and now is your moment. How do we call on the name of the Lord? One simple way to do it is to just offer a prayer, either out loud with your voice or in your mind and your heart. 
And I could help you with that prayer. And you could just pray something. I'll, I'll lead you through that. So let's pray on it right now. So join me in prayer. And you can just kind of even repeat these words after me. They're not magic words, but it's a way we could call out to the Lord. So let's do that. If you feel like now's your moment, then say this to the Lord. Father in heaven, I want Jesus' sacrifice to count for me. Forgive me of my sins. Help me turn away from my sin. Help me come to you. I want Jesus to be my Lord. Amen. I know it may sound overly simple, but if you prayed that prayer, then you just started your relationship with God. You were born again. This is the coolest day of your life. This changes everything. This is the beginning of a journey that is going to be so awesome. God's got so many great conversations to have with you. So we encourage you, if that was you, let somebody know. Maybe let us know. Maybe come pull some, one of us off to the side and let us know. Maybe message us on our, our website or in the, the chat on this video. Call your mom. Call your friend who always used to invite you to church tell them, hey, I prayed that prayer and I called out to God. And man, we would love to walk alongside you on this journey. We'd like to, for you to be a let us, quote unquote, along with us. So welcome to faith. Like I said, let somebody know. Start reading the Bible. Get the Bible app. Get a verse of the day and just start getting the Bible into your life. God's going to do some big stuff for you. And we're happy now, I'm going to say one last prayer, and then we're going to turn it over to this band. They're going to take us out. And the next time we gather in person, it's going to be 2022. You guys ready for that? Well, you better be because, you know, whatever. But, hey, big things are coming. But I'm just going to ask God to gather us as a, as a let us group on the trail. Nobody's straggling. Nobody a target for a mountain lion. All of us moving as a group. Some of us carrying others on our shoulder. We will look big and bad and ugly to the bad guys, to the enemy. Let's join. Let's be that. You guys ready for that? You guys accepting that invitation? Let's pray. God, we just ask you. You're the only one that can do this. We can't make ourselves a cool, awesome community on our own, but you can make us a group that travels this trail together. Lord, help us not to isolate. Bring us into connection and help us encourage each other all the more as the day of Jesus' return draws closer and closer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Jesse. Take us there, brother.